All right. Well, I think uh, three past, so I think most people have had a um, chance to join. And so I'll kick it off. Um, and yeah, so for those um, listening to the recording, this will be the start of it. So um, hello and welcome to the to a Quorum Sense webinar. Um, my name's Sam Lang. Uh, I manage the Quorum Sense Extension project, uh, which kicked off in July last year and is funded by the um, MPI's Sustainable and Productive Land Use Extension Funding Program. And if anyone hasn't come across that, uh, there's a bit more information on our website, which is quorumsense.org.nz. Uh, we ran quite a few webinars actually um, before that project kicked off uh, in lockdown last year, um, and they were really successful. Uh, and actually, we ran them through into winter, and we they kind of dropped off during spring and summer. But we've been hearing lots of demand for more detailed discussions. Um, than are possible to have on Facebook and WhatsApp, for example, um, where a lot of us are um, bouncing ideas and asking questions and that. So um, we're gonna we're giving this uh, format a crack, which is effectively a sector-specific um, approach. So uh, obviously this is a, a pastoral-focused webinar, and once the Yarrable boys and girls are finished with their busy harvest season, um, we'll be kicking off something similar for them, hopefully. Um, but uh, yeah, effectively this is a bit of a trial so really keen to um, hear from you all afterwards how much value you get out of it, uh, how we can improve. Um, and yeah, we'll just see how it goes. So the format, um, as was in the description there, is uh, we've got four farmers uh, here who, um, thanks to all four of you for agreeing to be guinea pigs to an extent and to um, share a bit about what you're up to and field some questions. Um, we're gonna give them about 10 minutes each just to um, give a brief overview, and then we'll launch into a um, quite extensive Q&A, hopefully. So really looking forward to that. Um, if there's any time after each speaker um, in that 10-minute slot, uh, I'll try to take a question or two if we can, um, but we'll try to be um, reasonably tight on time to make sure we don't need into that Q&A session. And well, before I forget, um, I will, um, most of you that registered before, um, this morning, um, we've got an email with a PDF in it that had some background context and descriptions um, of the four farmers. So the intention for that is that you can read through that document and get a feel for the background for, for which of these farmers is coming from so that they can basically launch straight into um, giving you an update on um, where they're at, what they've been up to, trying, learning, etc. Um, so for the, for the farmers presenting, just pretend like everybody knows you. Um, but haven't heard from you for a while. And um, I've just put that link in the chat, a link to a Google Drive PDF. So if anyone hadn't had a look through that, feel free to click on that link uh, and it'll take you to a four page PDF. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, really stoked to be able to continue our kind of quorum sense theme of farmers learning from farmers and, um, and sharing. And it's certainly been Pretty cool to see over the last two, two and a half years in particular, just how quickly um, this kind of format just really spirals up farmers' understanding and, uh, you know, successful implementation effectively. So um, thanks to Mark Anderson, Jules Matthews, Maya Smith and Hamish Belsky for joining us. And Mark volunteered to kick us off. So um, for those of you looking at that document, Mark's on the third page, I think. Um, and... With that, I think we'll um, open the floor to you, Mark. Thanks very much. 
So yeah, yeah, no. Hi everyone. Thanks for having us here. Um, so yeah, conditions have been amazing down here um, this season. Um, we've had regular rain, um, good warmth, and um, pastures are performing really well. Um, yeah, with rainfall, we've had um, yeah, we've just had had good weekly showers really, and um, it's kept us going. Um, with most of the really heavy deluges like the 200 mils, um, Southland got in parts of North Targa. Um, and, um, but yeah, it's been really good. Um, clover's been abundant, really. It's been really pumping this year. Um, we've seen good um, root nodulation as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, the mixed species pastures, they've been growing really fantastic. Um, we're working on a 30-day round, um, slightly more for the mixed species, um, maybe 32 to 34 um, days grazing around. Um, we're looking after them slightly better than the ryegrass clover pastures. Um, generally, we're not supplementing on the mixed species pastures. Um, but come the ryegrass pastures, we're supplementing a little bit of silage, maybe a couple of kilos. Um, but um, going forward, we, we're pushing our round out further and um, this week we're not feeding supplement at all. Um, so, yeah, we're very much aiming for the three to four leaf stage grazing. Um, and we're mobbing the cows up a little bit more on the multi-species pastures um, with regular shifts. So keeping them tighter and moving more often. Um, and the ryegrass slightly more relaxed. Um, the round sped up a fair bit um, through the holiday period. Um, we kind of relaxed things through, through that holiday period and um, things probably sped up a little bit too much, but we're sort of gaining that back now. Um, um, milk production's been steady. Um, we're 17% we're ahead of last year. Um, we've cut grain out of the system um, um, and shared feeding, so we're not doing that anymore, just pasture and a little bit of grass silage. Um, so this is our yeah this is our second year once a day milking, so we're starting to claw back production and we should be finishing around 340 345 milk solids a cow. Um, what else? Uh, young stock we've 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 been pretty relaxed on young stock this year. We haven't um been mob grazing them as such, but um, more set stocking around around the grass. Um, we've had we've had such good clover. We've sort of just um, been nipping that off and 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 speeding around our runoff. Um, and now now we've had such good growth. We're setting up our bale grazing um, paddocks as well, so they'll have good good cover on them going into winter. And the context around stock density with winter grazing that may change a little bit um, if we if we're going to have quite good covers on those on those paddocks we've shut up um, 
empty rates this year, um, the herd is around 7%. Um, last year was 9%, and the year before that was in the 20s when we were back on um, twice a day milking. So we're, we're, we're reining um, the empty rates back in. Um, um, you might have seen we've been playing around with, um, well, we've been doing a lot of planting of multi-species pastures um, and we had another 35 hectares just come into the round in the last um, two months. So that's been awesome for pushing our rounds out. Um, and some of those pastures we sowed down with the Johnson Sioux compost um, from Hamish's um, brew and that, that's, that paddock is just pumping. Um, yeah, having the no, no winter crops this year, it's really helped um, push our round lengths out longer as well. And, and um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's working really well. Um, we put a little bit of liquid fertilizer on just in the last um, two weeks. Um, and that was, yeah, a little bit of fish, a little bit of N liquid. Um, and then we're just doing some trials with um, another brew at the moment. Um, so we've got a control paddock um, and a bit of a trial going on there. And to be honest, I can't see visually um, big differences, but we've taken herbage tests and so we're waiting for some results um, to come back on that. So that'll be cool when we, when we see some info on that. Um, so at the moment, we're just really planning, planning the bale grazing, setting that out. We're importing a few bales, so they're arriving now and we're placing them out for winter. Um, yeah, shutting those paddocks up probably a month earlier than last year, um, but that'll really help to set the roots down in those pastures and hopefully set them up well for winter and holding cows through, through winter. Um, uh, with, we, we did do one uh, winter crop this year with, for the calves and um, yeah, so that was a winter crop last year for calves, um, multi-species winter crop. Um, after grazing that in spring or late spring, early summer, we sowed that in radish and we've recently just rolled the crimp that down and sowed a new uh, winter crop in um, approximately a week ago. And so that, that crop is now emerging through the roller crimped um, crop. So that's pretty cool. We, um, I was tempted to spray it, but I didn't go there. So yeah, we're just gonna grin and bear, bear it. And I think the oats and the um, kale, et cetera, will, will actually get ahead of anything that's in there. Um, so, so yeah, anything else there, Sam, that you want me to touch on? Uh, no, I think you've done a brilliant job there. But we did have one question, um, which is, what is your plan for winter feed and when does the growth slow down? And is that when you introduce bale grazing? So maybe if you could um, yep. speak to them. So, so yeah, good question. Um, this year we're, we're normally, um, we're normally drying off cows uh, around March, um, oh, sorry, May. So 
Normally we import a bit of um, straw to slow those cows down to uh, introduce a bit of dry feed to them. But this year we're actually just going to set up um, a couple of extra bale grazing paddocks and we're going to um, introduce the dry feed to them through May and um, yeah, reduce the reduce the milk milk yield, milk flow and um, dry off from there. And then from, from June onwards, they'll be on their bale grazing for approximately 90 days, yeah. Awesome. Um, and I think that answered Dylan's question, which was um, when you're looking to shut up the paddocks and why, um, but is that perhaps seasonal dependent? Um, I think this year it's become easier because we've got more area in last year again, and we've got more, um, so I had more young grass coming in. Um, next year we'll be doing a lot less regrassing, so those paddocks won't be out for, for most of the season. Um, so I think it's going to become easier again next year, and um, depending on the context of how you want to heal that paddock, like you might, you might have hugged that paddock a little bit more and in winter last year, so you might take that paddock out um, a month earlier to let that let that heal itself. Um, and um, but then also on the other side of the coin, you might um, shut that paddock up, and you might want to um, be more intensive at bale grazing on that paddock, so you'll get get more time out of that paddock. You might put more bales per per break on. Um, um, to really cover that paddock and bale litter. Um, we're probably, we're not super intensive at the moment, but um, certainly we'll, we, we choose different paddocks that need different remedies, yeah. Awesome. And uh, Max, maybe the final question on that topic before we move on to Hamish. Um, do you, are you selecting your, for example, like your older ryegrass clover paddocks typically for those, that bale grazing treatment, or is your multi-species get um, uh, the same? Um, good question, yeah. Um, so we have been targeting the paddocks on the X cropping ground that we purchased um, um, to try and build soil structure back into that block. Um, but what I'm hearing is you will get your best results from bale grazing if you choose your better paddocks. Um, so yeah, yeah, so this year we are trying um, some multi-species paddocks to bale graze on, um, sowed in the last two years. Um, and yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'm sure it'll be fine because they've got awesome root structure and um, should be able to handle the, the winters better than the basic rye grass clover. Awesome, cool. Oh, looking forward to those results. Um, thanks, man. That was, um, that was a brilliant overview. Um, I forgot to mention to everyone that um, there's a Q&A button down the bottom of your screens and if you click on that you can um, type in your questions and if I get a chance um, as each you know as we did with Mark just there I'll, I'll ask them or if not then we'll hold them through um, to the um, to, to the end when we open up for Q&A and when we get to that stage if there's a whole lot of questions there um, you can also upvote them so the questions that you really like and you really think are important you can bump them up the list and I'll, I'll see them at the top so I'll do my best there. Um, but yeah, thanks very much, Mark. Um, Hamish, over to you.
Okay. Thank you, Sam. Good evening, all. Nice to see you all here. Um, where do I start? Well, Mark sort of summed up the, the season that we've been having. Um, and talking to some older people, it sounds like it's just a normal season of what they used to have. So that's kind of nice. But um, I'll probably go back to really what have I learned in the last um, year or two years. And, and I have to say, this is what we've been observing on our farm in our context. And sometimes what we say can very often not work very well on your operation. So just bear with me on that one. Um, so last year we were shifting probably twice a day with two mobs, you know, right through from January through to winter. And um, it actually worked very well. But looking back, what happened was if you don't get your density right with longer covers, you end up with a lot more um, tufty pastures. And so what we've done is we've, instead of eating that top third, we're actually going to what we now call a total graze. We've just been doing a course with Jim Elizondo. And so they're not eating the pastures even enough, even at twice a day, even at four times a day. Sheep are extremely fussy. So that's one thing I'm learning more and more. I know they're very selective, but they're very, very selective. So um, this year, we just started to eat some of our paddocks lower. This is when the ewes, uh, the lambs are with the ewes um, at foot. And we, if you shifted them four times a day and ate down to about 1500 with a really nice even graze, the next round, it was beautiful quality, pasture and they did really well so that started to back up a lot of what Jim was sort of um, educating us on and what I've sort of learned with sheep and beef is I used to think Christmas came at the worst time so we would have to either wean before Christmas or you wean after Christmas you can't really wean in between because all the meat companies are closed down and everyone's on holiday so what, of, what we've come back to is instead of lambing on the 15th of September, we're going back to around about the 5th of September, and we just need an extra 10 days to get a whole lot more lambs off mum by before Christmas. So our targets, 50% um, are gone by Christmas time. And if we don't get a lot of lambs off mum before Christmas, it makes our job way harder after Christmas. This year we've got away with it because of the good rains. But what we've what we do is we wean, say the fifth to the tenth of December at ninety days, and then the ewes that have been weaned then go and follow the hoggets and their lambs, which are by that stage in a mob of about a thousand ewes and fifteen hundred lambs, something like that. And what we do then is that the ewes and lambs, uh, the hoggets and the lambs don't do a total graze, they just do a top third and the ewes come in behind them and they clean it out. And what, what, what I'm learning, well, what we're learning is that the key is not so much residual but time and recovery. So 
when we let it recover and leave it another, say, five days, um, the quality is beautiful and we're still growing just as much feed, which has amazed me really because we, we have been eating, eating lower. So what happened last year, last autumn, is that we got that 200 mils of rain in January and it, we grew, we had a great autumn. So what it just kept growing back. Every 30 days, we were taking the top third, laying down litter, coming back and it was responding well. But what happens if you get dry and you have to start to extend the round from 35 to 45, 50 days, you then have to start leaving animals in that area longer. And if you have too much stem, they have to start eating stem. And then your animal performance dives. So our animal performance is really good right up through to the winter until our ewes had to start planning up that um, summer production of where we didn't get the litter laid down well enough. Yeah, so there was just too much um, dead matter. I think if you shift, if we carried on shifting four times a day, it wouldn't be such a problem. And they, these are all the contextual things that we have to understand. But it will do your head in if you continue to shift four times a day for 10 months of the year. So Amy and I have chosen to have a life. And so after we wean the main ewes before Christmas, the lambs carry on in the rotation. The ewes follow the other mob, the hoggets and their lambs. And then just before Christmas or Christmas Day, if I'm running short of time, we spread out all the lambs and put the ewes onto deferred area. And then we can just have a break for 10 days, two weeks. And we've actually continued to set stock the lambs through January and into February. And they'll be there in, an, in a block for, for three weeks. And then the ewes come in behind them and, and tidy up that block. And the lambs go to where the ewes were. Hopefully that makes sense. So our lambs um, growth rate this year has been about 240 grams a day since weaning. Last year, they're about 280 grams a day. So it's pretty similar. But the stress has been taken off out of our system. And until we get our fencing and water system more, uh, uh, you know, more paddocks and more permanent fencing, that is suiting us really well. So I think the... The fact that we're in through October, late October, November, and early December, the two to four times a day shifting really sets you up from there. I think that's a real key time to put the effort in. And one other thing that I really learned this year was the bigger your mob, the later you box up into a bigger mob. So tooths, as soon as they get into a big mob, they will just ditch a lamb or ditch their lambs with no regard whatsoever for their young. So what I find is when the lambs start eating more and they're, they're getting bigger, that's when we'll start mobbing up 900 to 1,000 ewes. And while they're set stocked, they're still growing really well. And we have cattle, heifers with their calves in amongst them, and that was working really well as well so i think when we start that rotation we start it when the grass really starts growing fast and then 
the other key thing I've learned is because we're eating lower and not leaving as much litter, laying down as much litter, the key point to, to that is the deferred grazing area is what rebuilds the humus and the, the, the need to reduce inputs. So what fascinates me is we've heard about the sabbatical fallow, which is about 14% of your farm a year. Well, when I looked at that beef and lamb deferred grazing research, they deferred 15% of their farm and left their profitability 8%. Like somehow this, this spiritual um, practice actually has real practical meaning behind it. And when we listen to Dick Richardson, so those of you here go back and listen to the Dick Richardson webinar, he also educated us similar to Jim Elizondo. And now it's starting to come clearer to me. And, and, and my wife, Amy, when she comes around the farm with me, like end of winter last year, she's just like, this is not good enough. So she gave me a good blasting. And um, she, she doesn't hold back, which is good. Um, it's also um, very humbling. Anyway, um, the, the, some of the key lessons that we've learned and we've offloaded still a lot of lambs. We've offloaded a lot of store cattle uh, or, or finishing cattle, you know, before their, uh, say, our steers at 290 kilos our heifers at 260 kilos we could take them to heavier weights but the key after christmas is dropping stock demand as quickly as possible so the two figures that are probably that i look at the most is eating demand per hectare so kgs of dry matter per hectare over the farm and what we're growing per hectare and the place i get where we're growing the grass is off the farmax beef and lamb data as well as pasture coach, I go to their website and hopefully no one's here that knows them because it's such valuable data. And that tells us what the daily pasture growth rate is. And it's been not very accurate. And we're down to about 35 kgs of dry matter growing per day now. And our demand is 35. So we have to um, quit even more lambs faster. So that's, um, that's about... The so we got Hamish, only uh, only thirty seconds over ten minutes, so that's that's pretty well done, mate. Um, the uh, couple of things that I think we could potentially come back to in the in the open Q and A would be um, around deferred grazing, perhaps, um, and you know spring versus autumn, um, and also around the importance of a flexible stock policy. So I've got those noted down um, potentially for the Q and A later. Um, there was just one question um, I'll give you um, that came up around whether the intense density um, or the you know the total grazing or holistic grazing, whatever you want to call it, has been more beneficial on a mixed pasture sward versus your eyeglass sward. Now I know you've got about 80% um, of your farm now in the new multi-species, but would you like to just quickly comment on that? No, it doesn't make any difference. Um, some of my older pastures, crested dog sale brown top. I've tried to keep them as short as possible. Um, they're just resilient anyway, and they'll just bulk to seed so fast if you don't, if you give them an inch. Um, but also, you know, I have actually mulched or topped most of the farm this year to reset 
Um, we've had a lot more thistles this year than than the last couple of years. Like it's sort of blowing me away where they've come from. I thought we were sort of getting on top of them. Um, and that's just life. Um, to me, mulching or topping is so valuable if you have to reset. And I also think that um, that in a dairy farm operation, what I'm learning too is that a dairy farm operation has one mob and every grazing, they can make it count. As soon as we wean our ewes and lambs, suddenly your whole rhythm or your rotation just blows out the window. So then you lose all grazing pressure. So in, in a sense, in a dairy farm where they've got nice paddocks, nice water system and one mob, it is very easy to get a consistent graze each grazing. So that's why where, where, where I'm trying to work out how to sort of nail that part. And I think if I have to go back and use a mulcher or topper to tidy up some of the paddocks where I didn't get a good graze, so be it. Um, it's a small price to pay than to have poor quality pastures with poor lamb performance. Cool, thanks very much Hamish. Um, we'll leave it there and uh, we'll come back to Michael and Dylan's questions um, once we've heard from Jules and Maya. So um, Jules, would you like to take it away? Thank you, Sam, and good evening all. Um, yeah, it's been an intro, well, it's obviously a first season for us here in Whiteman's Valley, which is just 10 minutes out of Upper Hutt. And um, as Wellington is well renowned, we've had, I would say, probably a somewhat typical season, although perhaps a lot cooler than normal. I mean, I'm still waiting for summer to come. It's been really wet through the spring. Last winter was really, um, really pleasant. And then spring came and it rained and then it rained some more and it was really cold. And even during January and February, you know, there've been days we've had fires and it's been quite chilly, um, no frost, but it's been quite cold. So that's obviously put a, a bit of a damper on, on growth, but I will say even with all that, uh, although our growth has been slow, it has been quite consistent, which has made management, um, you know, somewhat doable. And I think overall, we've probably maintained reasonably good quality in our pasture. And we've been aiming to leave um, quite the opposite probably to Hamish. We've been going for some, some considerably longer residuals and, and up probably around 2,500 often, we've been leaving that sort of residual with our ewes and lambs. And we've got at this point, a fairly low stocking rate on the farm due to the fact that we really lack um, good infrastructure. We're spending quite a bit of time and energy and, and money and reinstating old infrastructure and putting in new infrastructure. So that will change over time. But um, yeah, just sort of biting the bullet and leaving some longer residuals and, and not really monitoring stock and stock health as we go along and stock performance. So we haven't been caught out on that. Um, and we do, I, I think we, we spend quite a bit of time assessing our conditions and juggling our grazing according to the changes, whether that be um, wet or cold or dry or whatever that is. We've, we've, we're really committed to being responsive to the conditions rather than setting up a rotation and, and sticking to it. Um, I think being willing to, to change things up 
um, at the drop of a hat is probably quite important. Um, we started our spring and I've always been a bit of a fan of doing a, a drift lambing system and we we don't have a big mob of ewes yet. We'd only bought 360 odd ewes. So we did drift lamb them and, and I think for me one of the important factors in that is always to leave you using lambs long enough and to get a little bit of age on them before you start boxing them up. And then I like to box them up sort of gradually so they learn to adjust and be in different social sort of size families um, before you, you know, send them off to Tokyo to learn to live in a high density family. Um, so that I think is an important piece of that. And, and they did well. And at one point we put all, well, we put half our um, cows and calves in with the ewes and lambs. And that, that too worked reasonably well for a little bit of time. And then it got very cold and wet again. And I think the, the pressure of having um, too much stock density, we were doing twice a day moves. I think the most we ever got up to were uh, probably a few days we did three times a day, but we pretty much stuck to that twice a day moves just, just because we were trying to get on top of fencing and water as we, as we were doing all that. Um, but the ewes, uh, the ewes and lambs performed really well, and it surprised me to be putting using lambs into what you would consider really good quality or, and in some cases, probably um, getting beyond really good quality dairy pasture and just watching those lambs go in and take the tops of those plants. And, and there was good, there's always been good clover throughout the season. So they've had um, probably really good protein levels. Um, what can I say about that? The, the, I think our average rotation has been about 35 days and that's been all the way through the spring. And then come Christmas time, we wanted a bit of a slowdown. So we put some stuff up on the hill and took a bit of a break and let the, um, let the flats, because the farm is an ex-dairy farm. So we've got, you know, some quite nice flat land um, and then a bit of hill that, to back it up. And when we put the cows up on the hill at one point after we'd pulled them out, we then brought some young um, yearling heifers down and put those with the ewes just to keep the density up, but ease the pressure in the paddock itself from stock pressure. Uh, and I think looking at our performance on our lambs, our average lamb growth has been up around 300, 330 grams. And the best of our lambs were doing 400 grams a day and, and the lightest of them are sitting around 200. So performance wise, we're really happy with that. Um, the calves I think are probably averaging about a kilo and a half a day and the best of them have been doing two kgs a day. And I think what's worked well is, is being willing to be really flexible in our management in responding to what's happening both in front of us and behind us, particularly with pasture recovery and growth rates. Uh, the other thing I think that's worked really well and enabled the stock to have good utilization of the, the pasture they have had is I've been pretty diligent with having a free choice mineral program um, out for them at all times, including 
loose salt and then quite a bit of kelp with trace minerals based on on our pasture tissue tests and what what's showing up as being deficient. Um, I think that really saved us these ewes we brought in. We brought in from bulls and they'd come from some really nice sandy country into some very wet conditions and quickly developed quite a few feet issues and and with very little sort of hand um, or physical care from from us, those those feet issues have all come right. And I'm I'm pretty clear that's been from the mineral program because it's certainly not been from the dry conditions. Um, we weaned really late. We actually weaned on uh, Valentine's Day and, and put the rams out at the same time. So Valentine's Day was pretty exciting around here. And we were able to lean, wean late because we've got good feed and good covers. Um, and I wanted to make sure that those ewe lambs can go to the ram at a good, uh, a, you know, at a good body size. So most of our ewe lambs will probably have 200 odd ewe lambs we'll be able to put to the ram. Um, what's not worked? Uh, we had, we planted, we've got a little bit of peat country and I've never had anything to do with peat. So um, I've got some big learning to do. And I've also got a lot of questions around the, whether it's right to even be farming on peat or not. Um, so I'm looking at what I could be doing, should be doing, what's socially appropriate to be doing. But anyway, the peat we've got is pretty rough and I've got a couple of paddocks that um, went into a multi-species cover crop. And the first one we planted the end of November and it rained for three weeks solid. So it, that got off to a really poor start and some of it's done okay, some of it hasn't. And then the next crop, I sort of held my breath and it went in a few days before Christmas and had a week of rain pretty much after that. And, and that now has, has had a little bit of warmth and is doing really well. So I'll be interested to see, you know, what impact that has and, and how the peak country responds to having done that. Um, I think perhaps, and it's always good to talk to Hamish because he sees things and, and, and is very clear about, I think, responding to what he sees and measuring what he sees. And, and I question, I've questioned my um, grazing residuals Earlier in the spring, I think perhaps of anything, I could have left those a little bit shorter or taken those down a little bit lower. But oh, the jury's out on that at this point. Um, I think one of the tricky things is trying to do too much intensive management too early uh, before you've got that adequate infrastructure because it just, you know, if you're not careful, it turns into a hard slog a lot of work that is just chasing your tail. So, so I'm pretty big on making sure you've got the infrastructure first. Um, and what else maybe, can I tell maybe, you? Maybe last point there, Jules. Yeah. If you've got one. Yeah, well, I think, I think, um, you know, the couple of things we're really looking at is, is this used to be a dairy farm. So, busy looking at the potential of turning it into a sheep dairy. So that's my latest Brilliant. interest. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And you get a massive market right yes. over the hill. Exactly. <laughs>
Um, just one quick question that you'll be able to answer um, from Greg. When talking about stock density, do you base this on kilograms of live weight per hectare or some other measure? No, kgs of live weight per hectare. Yes, correct. Brilliant. Cool. Thanks very much. Um, and I think um, I've got a, again. I've got a couple more um, points noted down for the Q and A, including um, wintering systems, which I'm sure we'll um, we'll want to dive into more detail and we'll hear a bit more about. Uh, in your context too there Jules um, so now we'll pass over to Maya and um, once Maya's finished I think we might take a five minute break um, let everyone have a stretch and then we'll um, and give everyone a chance to uh, throw some questions in um, and, then we'll, and then we'll come back so thanks very much Jules and over to you Maya you gotta unmute sorry mate Can you hear me? Sweet. Um, hi, everybody. Um, we've had a pretty good winter. Um, calving time had a lot of grass, so that was good. Um, but we had our fastest calving um, in my 25-year career, so that was um, a, a challenge that we knew was coming, and um, we soon ran out of grass. Um, so quality wasn't an issue, and um, we had to poke quite a bit of brought in feed in that we didn't want to do but did it anyway um second year once a day um the cows milk a lot better this year i think we're seven or eight percent up for the season so that's that's positive um so our uh pasture we ran um usually run a 30-day uh round in the in the spring and shift them three times a day. Um, and this year we tried, a, we did two rounds of 20 days uh, and mating to keep quality and leave a good residual. Um, so the cows, uh, at that stage, the grass was pumping. So we, we took a lot of that feed out. Um, and in fact, we ended up turning the in-shed feeding off, which is the first time in 10 years on this farm. Um, so that was promising. So we got two and a half months without uh, feed going in. Um, and so we did the two rounds at 20 days, shifting them three times a day at quite a low density. Um, we did get a bit of tag doing that, um, probably a bit too much selective grazing there. Um, but then we, once we got through mating, so the idea was just to, they got as much feed as they could they could eat through that mating period. And then we um, went back to the 30 day round after that. Um, I don't think I'd do that again um, because it's quite variable here when you get rain. Um, and so we found when we went into December, um, it dried up really fast. And normally December is a ripper of a month for us. So um, Normally I'd slow them around down at the start of January to a 50 day. Um, and by the time we got to January, we were pretty dry and on top of our feed. So um, it was a bit of a lesson for me. This is um, probably a, our biggest risk time is, is going into summer and but we're looking to go 30 to a 50 day about the 10th of December. Um, and the 50 day you get really long feed 
um, and the cows will drop away a bit. Better on multi species. Um, but we find that if we can just get our production right up to mid December, we get over halfway, our cows only need to do average a kilo a day for the rest of the season. So we're not worried about um, so much about quality. I know they'll do a kilo off long tucker. Um, so that's just resilience and that's what we'll, we'll do that longer round earlier. So we're looking for quality right up till mid-December and then after that, I don't really care. Um, and if we do get rain, I will just come back and defer more paddocks uh, for the winter earlier. Um, but right now we're dry as buggery, worse than last year. Um, luckily we've just had 40 mils of rain, so it's going to quickly green up. Yeah. Um, for our stock classes, we just run one more of the cows, um, and then our young stock are a week in front of them, and they get shift. They get a whole paddock every day, put in front of the cows. And when we go to a 50 day round, um, I always would have had some paddocks that have been cut foliage. So the quality is really exceptional on them. I, I'll break feed my calves over summer on that quality because if you put them in the long ship, you know, it just they don't do that well. Um, what else were the questions? Sorry. Um, yeah, well, the rotation, we tried that 20 day. Um, I think we would have had to shift them six times a day to get the density to do that, and I can't be bothered with that. Um, I think three to four times a day shifts in the spring is spot on for density here, and we're on a steep property. Um, be steeper than Hamish's. He, you know, he thinks dairy farms are all easy, but um, I'm sure we've got some steeper hills than him. <laughs> I've seen some photos of his, and that looks pretty nice. <laughs> um, also, um, last autumn we pretty much drilled three quarters of the farm with a multi, um, just straight into our pasture. Um, when we cultivate here, the soil just goes to dust. Um, it's freaking horrible. And uh, we're just going right away from that now. So just direct drilled straight into the pasture, good at the end of summer. So we'll be doing that uh, in the next sort of couple of weeks. Um, and then for no summer crops this year, that's why we go to the slow round. Normally, conventionally, I'll be 25 days in summer with uh, summer crops. Um, now we're take that cost, take that cultivation out, and now we're, uh, you know, 50 days without summer crops. Production's lower, but costs are are a lot lower um, and going into winter we normally would have winter crops um, this year we're just going to be taking 50 hectares out um, early and just deferring that for winter unlike what Mark does but we won't be bale grazing because hay is bloody expensive up here it'll go broke um, so we've got some pit silage or we'll be feeding that out um and yeah so hopefully we get an autumn this year so we can we can uh store a bit of feed up for winter uh we don't have I, a runoff yeah did you say 
uh, you direct drilled seventy five percent of the farm. Yeah. Last autumn. Yeah. And you're going to do that again. Yeah. This year. So have you got quite a lot of annuals in that, do you? Um, I put some oats, um, annual grass and chicory are the only annuals I drill, but I've found, and because I've been trialling this for six years, it takes two seasons um, to get a really thick pasture. So um, the, the paddocks I've done twice, two years in a row, are, are really good. And we've got quite open pastures here. Being um, out of forestry, you know, um, it's quite raw. Um, so yeah, that's just what I'll do that again this year, and then um, we'll be able to cut back quite a bit. Um, and another thing I've done before is put a really high rate of oats and linseed and annual um, into an eaten off pasture in March, end of March, and just heard that for winter and got really good results. Um, six ton. And you know, last year's winter crop we got eight or nine, and we yeah. So our risk is if we do put a winter crop or summer crop is the dry. Um, we've had some real disasters, whether it's conventionally or even multi-species. If the timing's not right in spring, it's no good. So um, to get away from that, we do everything in the autumn now, when we're guaranteed. Even if we only get rain in winter, um, we're guaranteed to get, you know, good growth. Uh, so that's what I'm sort of planning in the next couple of months, setting up for winter and that. Um, we had an 8% empty rate, which is all right. Um, we have had up to 25% here um, in the past. So, but we've also had 8% on twice a day, so... Um, we're reasonably happy with that side of things. Um, I think we carved, our carving was, we carved 94% in six weeks. Um, so if any of the dairy farmers out there, that's bloody good. Um, so we're, we're getting ready for that again because I know our mating was, was even better. Our cost is it? Oh. Yep. Is that down to just care condition at mating to you or what, what are the factors going on there? Well, we know from herbage tests and that that our minerals, like, for example, our magnesium and clover has tripled. Um, calcium's doubled. Um, trace elements are getting higher. So I think the cows are just healthier and the one today obviously helps. Um, so, yeah... It's just getting easier and easier for us. No milk fever. I think we treated maybe six or seven cows. And this season, we carved two cows out of 560. Um, and I just couldn't believe that. I don't know if that's got anything to do with it or we were just lucky. But um, so easy. So easy carving. No, and the biggest problem we had this year, we had got a bit of foot rot. Um, Normally we'd have a herd of 20 cows on, you know, lame. So most of that's all gone. Um, so animal health costs will be below $20 a cow this year and we used to be about 80. Um, so that's, you know, savings are just happening all the time now. Um, I don't think that can get much better, but 
Who knows? Yeah. Um, what else have I? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, resilience going into summer. I learned this year that even though I thought I knew everything about grazing now, um, the weather can be a bloody shit of a thing, and um, we'll we'll be planning for a, for a dry spell every summer, and we'll be planning early. So, yeah. Awesome. Oh man, it's a it's a pretty epic overview. Um, and I think Jared, in particular, there said he really appreciates your honesty there. So, um, thanks very much. Now, I think what we'll do um, it was just take five for the um, Jules, Mark, Hamish, Meyer. Um, any topics that you want to throw in the mix um, that you'd like like to dive into a bit more detail? Oh, just uh, just either chuck them in the chat or just sing out um, if you do. Um, I think. Sorry, Sam. I'm sort of curious to explore the whole topic of topping, not topping, um, some of the pros and cons of that, because we haven't topped anything here this season. Um, and I know a lot of people have been doing quite a bit of topping, so I'd be curious to explore that a bit. Cool. Well, um, thinking about maybe if we if we start there actually, because um, I think there's a couple of, there's a couple of topics that we've got around wintering, which is obviously what people are starting to plan for. But maybe if we start with um, like looking back on, on the on the season to date, which that probably fits into, and then we can move into the wintering um, systems a bit later. So, Jules, do you want to kick off then with your kind of um, thoughts and experiences on that one and then we'll um, let the others chip in. I suppose my thinking has been, um, well, there's been two things. One, I think we've, even, even though we've been grazing quite a bit taller and leaving longer residues, I think we've kept reasonably good quality. We haven't ended up with a lot of tag or anything in our paddocks. But the other thing, the other place I've been thinking of it from is if, if we're thinking about feeding our underground livestock and we need both browns and greens or, um, you know, those uh, manures and our more carbon material and so far as some, some dry matter or some dead matter, if we, if we have that real diversity and we're trampling, then we're feeding both our fungal and our bacterial populations with our grazing management, which to me maybe reflects what would happen in nature more. Mm -hmm. um, cool. So I, we, oh, sorry. No, no, you go. I was just gonna. So I was just thinking, um, Hamish, you're probably a good one to throw that to because what you're moving to, as you described, was more um, keeping quality in that full lower residual graze um, on most of your platform, but then using the deferred, um, using your deferred grazing as the opportunity to um, get the more brown, stalky, stemmy more recovered or mature um, pasture and a bit more trampling. So do you want to um, bounce off Jules there? Uh, just remember to unmute. Yep, so what Jules is saying there, I totally agree with. Um, the thing is, it takes a lot of focus all year round to lay down that litter with good quality taller pastures. So you've got to have a really good infrastructure to carry that out most of the year. And so 
from my observation, either the pasture has to be laid down, hitting the ground, so that it can break down and regrow quality. If you don't do that, you either have to top it or an animal has to eat it. Because if it's standing and it's stemmy and stalky, it's not capturing energy and it's not growing stock. So that's where cows come into their own because they can eat that stuff and not, I'm talking about beef cows. Um, whereas if we make our ewes clean it up, um, they'll start to go backwards. You know, it's, it's all about what can you actually implement and execute well on your farm. And so for me, if I don't get the grazing of some paddocks good enough, it is easier for me to spend some money resetting than it is to try and take weight off animals or to carry on moving four times a day throughout the summertime and we want to have a life you know like they just there are just consequences to whatever you do and it's it's not a hard and fast rule whatever way you look at it does that make sense can i jump oh, can i jump back in there i just i just yeah, that's awesome, Hamish, because I think, you know, the thing I've failed to mention is, you know, I've got little tractors and big tractors and my big tractors are a mob of big old beef cows. So, you know, I've varied my rotation to ensure that I keep a higher level of quality by using those beef cows. Um, and then I've also deferred some area and, and used those girls to, to trample it. So it, it is using the right tool in the right place at the right time. Thanks. I think it, um, you know, especially for, we don't have any um, sheep and beef farmers on big hill country here. Um, and I think that kind of, um, that beef cow tool, obviously, um, far more relevant. And I think um, I am conscious of that. So next, if we, if, we, if this, if everyone enjoys this format and we, and we do it again, we'll make sure we get someone on some big, rough, steep, wadded up a country or something um, on for a bit of a different context. Um, Meyer or Mark, do you want to chip in there at all? You don't have to. Um, um, if I've got some crap pasture that I want to, you know, eat down and I don't want to lose production, I always pair it with something really good and I won't give them too much of it. So just give them a break of the crap and then give them the same amount of good pasture and you'll clean that up, eat it down quite hard and, um, yeah, I don't lose any production like that. In fact, I do that quite a bit. Sometimes I'll defer paddocks for 30 days. Um, so they're really long, but they haven't gone really rank yet. And I can use that to extend my 30-day round out to a 50-day round without having to put silage in, um, without them dropping. Um, so I've found that I've done quite a bit of that over the last two years. And because everyone asked me, oh, how do you get from a 30 to a 50-day round? And that's how I do that quite often. Um, so yeah, there's ways to clean it up, but um, I know what Hamish must be hard with sheep because cows can probably handle a bit more. 
Cheers, mate. And I remember, um, yeah, but Chalinas always talking about making making sure your deferred paddocks are next to a one you're keeping in your platform, so you can actually chop and change between them as you or kind of graze both at the same time, or it gives you the option to do so anyway. So that's um, Mark. Do you want to add anything to that? Or yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we find it a lot easier to lay down the pasture in the multi-species paddocks. Um, just with such lush, long feed in those paddocks. Um, and we are seeing the best results in those paddocks with soil biology and nutrient cycling, etc. cetera, um, soil structure, um, because certainly our ryegrass paddocks are still bolting to seed um, um, just before Christmas. So we are still rushing around topping some of those paddocks. Um, most of our multi-species paddocks we're not um, topping anymore. Um, and as far as deferred grazing goes, we will still take the odd paddock out generally for silage. Um, but as we're moving into the system where we're all grass and we're doing less regrassing. Um, that's going to help us do more of what Maya's doing, yeah, with extending his round, and potentially we'll get to the stage where we can hold the same bell numbers and keep our production levels um, pretty level, and then move into a system where we're not having to buy so many bales for winter yeah awesome cheers mark and i think so on a um on a related note um you know most of you talked about deferred grazing um and maybe we'll um for the sake of this webinar um we'll set aside the spring deferred or spring summer deferred grazing and talk about does deferred grazing have a place going into winter um and if so, what does that look like to you and how do you actually implement that? Uh, anyone can kick off. Okay, I'll start on that. You go, Hamish. Um, so our 180 cattle, we just winter on grass. There's one paddock that we will buy in some hay from the neighbor just to help improve the paddock itself. But we shut them up around the 1st of March, uh, we might put on, well, we'll put on, I don't know, 20 kgs of nitrogen. Um, and we put aside 0.2 of a hectare for each cattle beast that we winter. And then we just shift the brakes once or twice a day through the winter. And they're on some nice sort of northerly face, facing, uh, freer draining country so Michael Riley was asking what if we have a really wet gnarly winter we do have some sort of uh, gullies that we can put the cattle into when it gets really wet because um, what I'm finding is high density or, or break feeding when it gets wet take the pressure off Otherwise, that area will come back in weeds or thistles. or And so I, I, I'm still paying the price 
two years later for some cattle in the spring where I had in a mob and it got wet and I didn't adjust. And those paddocks are still not performing like some of my others. So um, having those, those rougher areas, nice dry gullies or whatever to put your cattle in for a few days uh, works wonders but it's just having I find that nitrogen fertilizer a and it keeps the quality good and b makes sure I grow enough so well above what I need to get through a really crappy winter brilliant cheers Hamish um Jules do you want to jump in next oh I I think yeah that Hamish's comment about when it gets really wet take the pressure off I think you know, I think that's a must-do. And when you look at what's happened and probably come a lot from the dairy industry, not to pick on dairy farmers, but that, that you know, we've been too keen to set up our grazing programs and stick to our guns. And, and I think in doing that, we haven't really considered the, the bigger implications of the damage that gets done and then the time it takes to, to repair um, the damage to our soils and our system. So thinking of you know, whole ecosystem processes and how do we manage those effectively, not just the short-term feeding of stock. But yeah, I mean, we, we did quite a bit of... Um, break feeding and, and whatnot through the winter. And I imagine we'll do a bit of the same again this year and, and also be really flexible depending on, on whether it's a wet year or not. Last year wasn't, this year may well be. So, you know, making sure we've got plenty of feed on hand and we've got quite a bit of a hill shut up. So there's some really good covers, um, which will help with, you know, higher density stocking rates at certain times. Awesome. Cheers, Jules. We've got a question that we'll come to in a bit around what kind of stocking rates um, people are roughly working on in spring versus autumn, winter, for example. Um, Maya, you're talking about drilling three quarters of your farm and um, uh, mix of annuals and perennials every year. So what does that look like from a, or is deferred grazing a um, relevant concept in that situation or what does that look like? Uh, yep. Um planners uh, will still be on a slow round um, sort of end of March, mid-April and we'll, we'll nip our winter area off, direct drill it with um, a multi and a high rate of oats um, and then we'll, we'll have to speed our roundup because that will now be out um, which will keep quality up on the rest of the farm so we'll be looking at 35 to 40 days on the on the rest of the farm and then have 45 hectares 50 hectares out for winter um, so that when we dry off um, that'll give the rest of the farm a break and it'll be really nice quality for when we carve um, and it doesn't worry me how long that gets how rank it gets um, probably the rank of the better for dairy cows in the uh, dry season um, and we're on pumice here, so pugging is not really an issue. We're really lucky we can have our cows quite tight and we won't do much damage. So um, one advantage of, of pumice. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that's our plan. 
Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's sort of our plan going into winter. Awesome. And when but, you're talking about when when you're talking about dry, you're talking about cows that aren't being milked as opposed to a a, a dry season there. Yeah, um, yeah. Just yeah, in case so, anyone else, I got confused for ten seconds there. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. So what? Yeah. When the cows are um, not milking, um, the longer the rank of the feed, um, the better for us. Um, slows the passage through the through the gut, and um, they feel fuller. So they walk around less, so that's that's the aim. And I've got pit silage. Um, if we keep getting rain, I won't have to feed it all out. <laughs> um, and that'll go in with that long grass as well. Here's Ma and Mark, you got um, anything you'd add to the deferred grazing into winter um, and what that looks like at your place? Um. At the moment, we're, we're bale grazing around 60 hectares um, and yeah, around 600 cows. So that's really where we're at there. Um, hopefully in future, we can move into, um, yeah, obviously less bales being imported. Um, um, Cause I understand that that is, taking someone else's natural capital to build our own. Um, and that's got to come from, that is coming from somewhere else. So um, I understand that. And yeah, we, we are, yeah, I guess we're around 10 cows per hectare for that winter. And um, yeah, about 5,000 kgs a hectare, but um, yeah, I mean, I have had thoughts about using more area and being less intensive on those paddocks, but we, those paddocks are still coming back into my grazing around um, the first wintered paddocks um, from uh, June. We're grazing them again by, you know, October. Um, when generally we're needing that extra extra area extra extra pasture to extend the round so yeah that's working quite well um and actually just the reduced workload through that time has been bloody amazing like um you're busy enough with carving and then you've then you've just got through getting into mating um and lots happening and uh, you know previously would be busy trying to plant fodder beef and spending all night on a tractor and crazy stuff like that so yeah it's it's been a big relief moving simplifying things yeah brilliant cool thanks for that um i'm conscious that we've got quite a few questions in there now so um I suppose maybe apply the 80-20 rule in your, in your answers if we can. We'll see if we can try and um, get through them all in the next 40 minutes. Uh, and so we'll come back to one from Greg um, that was close to what we're talking about in terms of target stocking rates um, for summer and winter. So I don't know if um, for the if you've got them in your, off, your, off the top of your heads there, but just to give people a bit of a feel for um, for what those are, 
um, if you'd like to give that a crack. Um, I know actually for, um, oh, I thought I could remember. No, you anyway, know, I'll leave that to you. Um, does anyone want to just have a crack at that just to give people a bit of an idea of what you're working on? Yep, okay. Um, so overall, we're, we're about 12 stock units to the hectare in, in the winter. But my biggest metric or number or whatever you want to call it is that stock demand per hectare. So in the spring, we go up to about 55, 60 for maybe three weeks. And down in the summertime, we aim to be between 25 and 35. So adjusting all the time. And then through the winter, we get down to, I think it's about 22, 22 or 25, I can't quite remember. So that's why we have to have all our lambs gone, most of them gone by the end of February, and then definitely pretty much all gone by, by the end of March. So that we're building two and a half, three thousand covers for the ewes going into the winter. So if you can understand the ewes are on one rotation, the ewe hoggets are on another rotation, and the cattle are on deferred pastures. And that's the way that the price we pay is our lambs are lighter at, at killing, so 17 and a half to 18 kilos, where a lot of guys around here are doing 19, 20 kilos. Um, and we have to get them gone early, whereas a lot of people with crop can take them into April, quite a number of them, and grow them heavier. So that's the cost to our system. But to me, without that winter crop on the farm, we do have that grazing on the on the cropping farm for about, yeah, 40 to 60 days. Um, we just have to take bulk feed into the winter and so that determines our stocking rate i guess i think um that's that's awesome hamish i think the i think the question um and correct me if i'm wrong greg was around uh stock density uh so grazing density um oh. in in summer versus winter um as opposed to stocking rate uh have you got those numbers on the top of your head hamish? i think you're around fifty thousand. oh through. yeah well th through the spring would be would range from 50 to 100,000. And then in the summer, you know, with the ewes, we can still be at about 50,000. With the lambs, obviously, they're spread out. And then through the winter, we're shifting probably once a day. So that must go back to about 25,000. Well, 1,500 ewes, 1 1.5 hectares a day. So there you go. Whatever the maths is on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome um jules have you got those numbers in your head um, no no i don't i mean our stocking rate rates a little bit low and our stock density i mean we were just varying it constantly but i suppose during the summer we were running probably about forty thousand kgs to the hectare yeah so, sometimes up to 60 or 70 when we had a, some of those cattle in with them but it really varied a whole lot and I can see we'll play with that for a little bit longer before we might settle on something. Hmm. So thanks Jules. Yeah, that, that kind of 50,000 ballpark feels like a something that I hear a bit, um, you know, with sheep, sheep farmers that are giving us a crack on, especially in those twice a day moves um, through spring and into summer and that. Um, 
in terms of daring, I know Maya, you're sort of three shifts a day through um, through spring often, and Mark, you're getting up to five and six sometimes, so that's going to impact on that. But um, Maya, are you sort of around that 80 to 100 mark through? When we're shifting uh, three times a day, we can get up to 150. Um, then right now, we because we're, we're slowed our round and shifting twice a day, we're about 100. Um, and in winter, obviously, we go up to 250,000 or something like that. So, But don't do that on heavy, wet soils. No, no, how much time it's the way to go. <laughs> And Mark? Yeah, pretty similar to Maya there. Um, yeah, um, if we're doing sort of five breaks a day, sometimes there'll be, oh, it'd be even higher than 160,000 kgs. Um, but yeah, obviously, yeah, that's in our real flush growing season, um, where sometimes we'll be trying to return half that litter to the ground. Um, um, yeah, so yeah, and we'll be around 80,000 at the moment. Yeah. Wicked. We're sort of relaxed. Things are, things are relaxed a fair bit now. We're sort of down to, um, multi-species pastures, um, three to four shifts. Yeah, generally around that three though. And um, some of the ryegrass paddocks, um, just two shifts per day. Yeah, so, so we sort of relax things a fair bit. Especially when the surf's good, eh? Exactly, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so just looking at these questions again, uh, there was one uh, for you, Jules, from Julie. Um, did you spray out your paddocks to put in your diverse species crop? And I think it was a winter crop um, in your current situation. Uh, yeah, I did. The first paddock we did, we did 500 mils of Roundup with fulvic and fish just to sort of knock it on the head a little bit and then we aerated it and drilled that paddock. Um, that was the one that got three weeks of solid rain. And then the other paddock was just rough as, I mean, you could barely drive over it. So we actually gave that a light spray as well because I you know, wasn't in the game of trying to get rid of everything for good. And then um, did a bit of tillage on that just to flatten it out and smooth it out a wee bit. So that's what we did there. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, now, there's one from Dylan. Um, and Hamish, you've probably covered a little bit of this, but um, just what's your winter grazing system? Uh, so I think you've effectively moved away from winter crop um, altogether. So it's all grass and you've got a bit of deferred and a little bit of hay for your cattle. Does that pretty much sum it up? And that uh, winter grazing oats at the... Uh... Cropping farm. Right, yes. Which works in really well. We can run them down the road. Just fits like a glove. Cool. So I guess on that note, um, what is the key to be, uh, how about this? What is the key to all grass wintering or to no crop wintering? If I can throw that one at you. Yeah, 
if we wanted to go, what? Because we, we graze 600 new hoggets plus 400 replacement hoggets of our own. So we've actually got quite a lot of young stock. But the reason it's quite good money and it saves us forking out capital to buy more use. But the way I see that we can do it is if you have 2,000 ewes and 500 hoggets, your hoggets don't need such a big rotation and your ewes can have a bigger rotation. So that's how I see that we can do it. But because we have 1,000 hoggets, um, you can't, it's harder to put the same pressure on them on all grass wintering. Like you've, they're still growing, you know, we're lambing hoggets. So that's how I think we can do it in the future is just dropping our ewe hoggets and having more breeding ewes. So you need a, so you need the right balance of stock classes to be able to yep. handle that treatment. And you also need to be able to build covers through the autumn into winter would be the other one. Without a doubt. Yep. The, the, the higher the cover, the better your covers, the easier it will be. And if you haven't got the covers there, you've got to do something so you feed your stock well. Because one thing I've learned is poorly fed stock do not regenerate. And you, you just have to feed your stock. And if you've got to buy and feed, put on some nitrogen, do whatever you do, make sure you feed your stock. Because as soon as they lose weight, whether it's a dairy cow or a breeding ewe, whatever, the cost to get those animals back up to weight is huge. And you just start losing money. That's a, um, it's a perfect segue, Hamish, to a question I've written down before around the, the importance of main, maintaining stock condition to actually be able to execute these systems. Um, so I was just wondering, uh, Myra or, or Mark, in terms of those, uh, you know, you both moved to once a day milking, for example, you're both um, now pretty much in all grass wintering systems, although Mark, you've got the baleage in there. Um, how important is cow condition at the end of your milking season to actually being able to pull that off? Um, Maya, do you wanna? Um, for me, I don't mind losing a bit of condition over summer. Um, it, it's being on once a day, they just put it back on. Once autumn comes, you know, their production's down, they just put the weight back on. Um, we used to buy a shitload of feed in to get them um, up to a condition score close to five. Um, because we all know that if you carve them at five, they get in calf uh, better. Um, once a day takes that pressure out. Um, by the time we get to drying off, they'll be close enough and I'm not, not worried at all. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Mark, have you got anything to add to that? Um, yeah, um, no, the once a day probably fits quite well with the bale grazing that we're doing um, because we're really just maintaining their condition from dry off. Um, although this year, you know, things might be slightly different. We're going to have good a good level of grass there, um, hopefully around 4,000 kgs of dry matter. Um, on those paddocks um, and some of them I deliberately didn't top actually um, just left them a bit taggy because I know that yeah I'm gonna 
winter on them. So that was, that was all good. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, the one state definitely complements that, I feel, as we're trying to move away from um, heavy supplement um, during the season like we used to do. Um, we used to feed a lot of fodder beet, lifted fodder beet and truckloads of silage. So, yeah, moving away from that is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Um, I just lost my train of thought there. Um, I had a follow-up, but uh, oh, Jules, did you have anything to um, add to that? I uh, all I'd say, Sam, is I think we have not realised the potential of our stock and in, in our industries because we've become very good at underfeeding, and I think there's a lot of potential there that can be realised if we start playing the game of fully feeding our stock. And I think that's what we've seen in the performance of our lambs this year is they've been fully fed. It hasn't been anything other than that. Cool, thank you. And so the thought that I had was around um, where people don't quite get their management right all the season goes against them. They do get a bit of that, um, that tag. I'm hearing about quite a few people successfully just saving those paddocks up and for a rainy day. Um, and, and putting their stock on there when they've got good covers and um, using that, you know, those wetter conditions as a chance to actually, um, you know, tramp, trample waters there and um, effectively reset those paddocks. So uh, I think Hamish, you've employed that a bit um, on some of your rougher faces as well. Um, so uh, coming to the next question, and it's um, related from um, Michael Riley. Uh, are you concerned about building feed for the winter if you are lower in residuals or is it more easy to see ahead and also know that you have quality? Um, and then also what's your backup plan for a very cold, wet winter? So, well, wanna... so that's that's for me. Uh, probably was actually, yes. Um, just just to be make it clear, we're not lower in, res we're not lower in covers. We just, we are eating to lower residuals so we've still got really good pasture covers over the farm just our rounds are longer than than they were so we're get, getting more recovery into the into each paddock each pasture um and what else was there uh oh sorry i just um oh what's your what's your plan if you get an extremely wet cold winter I, I sort of covered that before, yeah. making sure I've got plenty of feed per cattle beast um, and plenty of covers going into the winter while it's still growing. Yeah, just one thing I'd like to add before about the genetics component to, to our operations. The best way I've had it described is, is eight and five. So eight pounds of sugar in a five pound bag. And when we have good, robust, um, deep, round animals, they just keep their condition way better than a narrow, tall, lanky, high-producing machine. And I've seen it in my genetic breeding days so clearly. And one thing in the sheep industry now, we can now select on body condition score. So when you go through and, and select these rams, 
some of the really high performing high index rams have really poor condition scores so in, the, in these sorts of systems condition score can add another one to two stock units per hectare because they put on feed when you have feed and they hold it better when you're short it, it's remarkable the variation that I've seen in sheep. And they'll be the same in dairy cattle. Awesome. Cheers, Hamish. Uh, the next question on the list um, from Dylan, uh, which is for everyone. Uh, are you at the stage where you're noticing grasses coming into the four to five leaf stage yet? Possibly some in some of your multi-species swords. Uh, Jules. A lot of our grazing this season was grazing pastures that were at that stage. Um, yeah, I kind of surprised myself. <laughs> it was like, oh shit, am I going to get in trouble here? And I didn't. And, you know, another season I may well. But this year it, it seemed to work and work well. Cool. Thanks. I mean, I personally get a bit confused. Yeah, the, the three-leaf stage, um, you know, obviously typically referring to a ryegrass plant and yet some of the, um, the other species that we've got, um, particularly those taller bunchies, um, to me, they don't seem to behave um, like a ryegrass plant. So the three-leaf equivalent's kind of hard to gauge, but does anyone have a, um, Jules or Mark or Meyer, have you got a take on grazing stage and what you're observing and that might be of interest to others. I suppose what, what I'm seeing is, is um, you know, that bottom leaf, we're coming into the paddock when quite often that bottom, that lower leaf is actually, you know, in, in the process of dying back. Um, and we don't have what anyone would consider improved pastures. These are older pastures that have not been managed particularly well for a long time. So just sort of dealing with what we have got there and seeing how stock do or don't perform on them. Um, at the moment, we've got no grass. So um, I'd love to see some four leaf stage, stages there. Um, but really for us, we're not into that until summer and happy to see four or five leaves in summertime. So yeah, we don't mind that in summer and it and you get a bit of seed head, you get a bit of regrassing done for free. Um, that's where we want to head. Um, so quality right through spring, and then let it go a bit in summer for resilience. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're pretty similar. I mean, in our multi-species paddocks, there's all sorts going on there. There's some at the four leaf and. Yeah, yeah, we're sort of grazing around that three to four, but some will be further ahead than that. Some will be seeding, and um, yeah, to tidy that up, we just manage that with um, stock density and yeah, adequate recoveries. Um, sometimes in the multi species, the chicory can be a bit of a problem because it can, if you're on a long round, it turns into a tree. And um, the cows just they they still eat all the leaves off, but they just leave that big stalk. And I mean, conventionally you'd be gutted with that. Um, but um, 
yeah, so that that's something to consider. Um, we do get a bit of that. It looks pretty pretty rank, but that is what it is. Doesn't worry me now. Yeah. Awesome. Um, thanks everyone for that. Uh, the a question from Christina. Um, what method do you find best for increasing diversity in pastures? Uh, direct drill, broadcasting, or start from scratch? Uh, do you graze it down to the boards before, or is the roller crimper the way to go? Um, and spring versus autumn. So um, I think this is Pops opportunity for the, you know, where we've got quite a bit of diversity of context uh, here tonight, and you're all um, doing things differently for different reasons. So, um, yeah, would you like to? I think Maya would probably heard um, quite a bit from you about why you why you drill in autumn um, coming out of summer. Um, I've also uh, spending quite a bit of time with Dean Martin back when I was farming up there, who's been doing that kind of autumn direct drill. Um, for quite a few years in a, in a dry year coming into a struggling autumn he'd get really good responses um to what he's direct drilling in but if he drills into a pasture that's already growing or he gets a lot of rain and, and the existing pasture takes off um no matter how hard he grazes it, it you know it tends to struggle a bit more uh, and so whether it's worth it or not um it's probably up up to different people but uh yeah that's um that's all from me uh has anyone else have you tried that, Hamish? I'm not sure if you if you have. I've tried so many different things, and in the end, because we're doing quite large areas, I just did with glyphosate and just did it properly because it would cost me too much trying all these other things. Now that I've got the farm pretty much a new diverse species, the paddocks that I haven't got done, what I might do, this, this is what I'm thinking, is you get a time drill and most conventional ways that we do our paddocks. Oh my goodness. Um, most conventional ways we do our paddocks, we probably do four passes of a paddock. I'm actually thinking just getting a time drill or any drill and just diamond drilling four times and just messing the paddock up. Um, and I'd like to see the results of that but apart from that it's really hard to get any recipe because climate soils so many variables and you've just got to row your own boat because what works for Maya um, I've got a mate who's on pumice and he says do not touch it with a implement like he said um, yet down here it can be a lot different so um, that's all I could, could add Um, Sam, I've had a bit of success just over-sowing in front of cows in winter. Um, I just used a mag spreader, chucked seed in, and the day before you're going to shift them, and they're quite tight, and they just trample that in with a bit of moisture. And I have, I've seen a few people do that and have good success at that too. Quite a few people are doing it. Yeah, cool. Jules, yes. Yeah, oh, well, I, th I think, you know, everything's been really quite quite well touched on. And, and I think, again, Hamish really sums it up nicely. You've got to be responsive to the situation, the season, the conditions you're in. And as he said, row your own boat um, and be, be really flexible. And, and uh, I, there isn't one way to do it and there isn't a recipe. And 
and getting that is probably more important than anything. Um, there's certainly certain, certain seeds and certain plants do better under certain conditions like broadcasting your smaller seeds in the winter. Your clovers and stuff usually do pretty well. Um, but yeah, finding what works in your area and stick to that. Yeah, we're, we're the same really. We, um, we've still been using a touch of glyphosate with folic and fish. Um, and I showed Hamish a patch the other day um, in a paddock we'd sowed and obviously the spray had missed and it was a big mess of ryegrass still there um, in the, in, amongst um, multi-species pasture that we'd established. Um, we've also been trying with single drilled paddocks, we've double drilled them and we've triple drilled them um, to get a bit more tilth um, for the seed, um, to seed contact. Um, triple did work really well, um, but obviously that's more um, energy cost um, and time, um, but they did work really well. Um, the roller crimping that we tried, tried this year was, that was obviously an X winter crop. So um, the ground was already reasonably open um, or not bare, but um, open. Um, we, we trialed three different seed lots on that roller crimping trial. One was radish, rye corn, um, another was radish at five kilos and the other was radish at 10 kilos and that the heavy rate of radish beat all the weeds. Um, so that worked well, but the, the other two not so well. The weeds were in there like willow weed and everything else, um, but they crept down and they're dying well. They were nearly at the end of their succession. So um, yeah, I guess, I guess we're just trying lots of different things and obviously wanting to move away from glyphosate. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. I suppose the only um, other thing to consider there for, you know, lots of different strategies can work in different situations and what works one autumn might not work the next, depending on um, the conditions and that. So, so keep that in mind and perhaps, um, yeah, thinking about your appetite for risk and, uh, and, Taking risk accordingly, and if that if you've got a big if you've got big pockets and impatient and you're extremely impatient, it might be half the farm, um, or it might be half a paddock. Um, yeah. So thanks for that. Now, conscious, we've got about ten minutes, and most of the questions we've got left are directed to specific people. So I'll just try and rip through them, and we'll do our best to cover them off. And um, if you guys can uh, rip through them as fast as possible, uh, we'll see how we go. Um, so first one for Maya, um, that's actually a double banger. Um, do you supplement with minerals to achieve those animal health um, outcomes or, and perhaps if not, what do you think is having the biggest impact on your herbage minerals going and improving? Uh, yep, um, we still, uh, I spray magnesium on our springers paddock and we put um, a bit through the dosatron from two weeks before calving through to the end of mating. 
and I use seaweed and a multi-mineral in the water. Um, and I've cut that down from carving to mating, whereas I used to do that all year. Um, and I use uh, 700 kilos of uh, dusting this year. And in previous years, I would have used four or five tonne. Um, so that's cut right back and our issues are just going. Um, but all it is is um, our nitrogen's gone from 150 to 180 down to 20 to 50 kilos a year. And our superphosphate's been cut out totally. So the soil's just working. Um, so you're getting less in and more minerals. And, and that's pretty obvious to all of our trials that we've done. Because um, I've still got a conventional half a paddock that I um, hate buying fertilizer for, but I do. And, um, you know, the, the magnesium and the, and, the, and the calcium haven't gone up in them. Um, and it's obvious when I bricked that paddock, when I put a heap of N on, beautiful ryegrass, it'll be 3,000 cover, bricks it at four, four or five. Sometimes it gets up to eight, and I go into a multi-species that's just had biologicals, and I can get up to 18. So, you know, it's just mineral rich. Um, so, you know, that's where we want to have a whole farm pumping out of 18 bricks and um, the cows are just going to get better and better. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that. Um, Hamish, can you please detail your plans for mating this year? Um, how many mobs how, of what size are they going into bigger paddocks? Um, what's your ram to U ratio and expected dry rates? If you can keep all that in your head. Um, basically, um, how are you going about mating and what are your expectations? So I'll, I'll put a terminal sire to say 1,300 uh, ewes and my best tooths will join with my hoggets. So I'll have two mobs and the maternal ram goes to the tooths and the hoggets because I won't get big lambs early out of my tooths or my hoggets. So I want to keep the replacements out of them. They're really good genetics. And the main ewes, I will, yeah, I just put it quite a lot, you know, 60% to the terminal sire and grow the lambs as fast as possible. So two mobs, say 1,500 or 1,300 in each, something like that. And um, ram ratio for the ewes, about one to 100. And the hoggets will probably be one to 50 to one to 70, something like that. And the dry rates, uh, usually in the hoggets were about 20 to 30% dry. And, but that's only at about 22 days. And the ewes are usually about 2% dry. Um, so, and we put the ram out to them for about 35 to 40 days. Awesome. Cheers, Hamish. And it's actually just reminded me, um, not entirely related to that, but we did do a webinar um, with Hamish. I think we had someone else on last autumn, which is on the Quorum Sense YouTube channel, about um, autumn management strategies after a dry spell and the and actually how to build covers coming out of dries and 
effectively a lot of that was around um, strategies to, to rather than trying to whip around quickly around your whole platform, actually tightening up mobs um, on a small part of the farm and effectively hammering that and supplementing if you need to to let to let your covers go uh, on the rest of it. So um, if anyone's interested in diving a bit deeper into that, you'll find that um, hopefully on the on the Quarantine's YouTube channel. So thanks for that, Hamish. Um, yeah, just coming in. Um, Mark, have you tried bale grazing with heifers and calves? You know, I assume how's that gone? If you have. Um, no, I haven't yet. But um, this year, I'm thinking I'll trial a month of bale grazing with my heifers, um, just because growing conditions have been so good. Um, there's plenty of supplement floating around and I would quite like to um, try them on bale grazing for a month and then they'll go to my winter pads that are, um, yeah, I've got winter pads there that can house around 400 cows. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, so, um, I mean, those winter pads are quite important to us um, in the respect that they are, they are a source of material for all our composting going forward, and they are a backstop in case things get very wet on bale grazing. Um, but as we're seeing the soil structure um, improve, um, it's really helping us in the summer dry, but it's also helping us in the winter um wetter months as well so so yeah yeah i'll try the heifers this year but haven't haven't done calves as such yet awesome cheers mark and just while you're there uh, there's a question for mark and Maya from michael um are you grazing any cows or young stock off farm or are you fully self-contained uh yeah everything on farm michael um we've got 90 off maize and may um but that'll change next year. We're going to keep them on, so another challenge. Um, but um, if we have to, we'll be, we will buy feed in for them for that first few years just to see how it goes. Um, unfortunately, our grazier's wanting to rear his own stock, so we decided to uh, stuff it. We'll just keep them at home, and if we have to, we'll milk 20, 30 less cows. Thank you. Um, now we've got two questions here from Chris um, I'm just going to pick on one of them um, and hope it's the one you prefer Chris, uh, for winter grazing uh, how do you maintain quality for late pregnancy nutrition on an all grass system anyone can take that um, so we will start grazing around the 1st of May and go through to the 5th or 10th of August so uh, we haven't seemed to have any problem as long as we do a good um, total graze through the winter and a good reset by the time August comes we're going on to say 1800 2000 from when we first started of really high quality beautiful feed so we hit the 5th to the 10th of August and then we go a 30 day round and then we set stock spread out so spread out about five days before we start lambing. And it seems to be working really well. 
And it means that we can actually lamb a little bit earlier because we're not spreading out too early. So most people will spread out about 10 days to two weeks before they lamb. Now, if you lamb on the 20th of September, like down here, which is quite later, and you spread out on the um, 5th of September, you can have all your feed gone by the time you lamb. But if you can keep rotating right up until you, you know, as close to possible as lambing, um, you can just keep building that feed and um, and be able to lamb earlier. So that's what I'm learning at the moment. Brilliant. Thanks, Hamish. And um, just wondering, uh, while I ask the next question, if you've got, um, Michael was wondering if you've got a link to the Jim Elizondo course um, or information on, on what he's up to and what you've been learning from him. If you perhaps could, if you've got that link, you could chuck it in the chat. Um, or... I'll just the the best YouTube clips were Living Web Farms, Jim Elizondo. That's where Chris Ensor and I did a lot of um, the pre-learning, and then we did his his course. But it's a lot more in depth to it than just what we've been saying. So uh, it, it took took us a while to get our heads around it, and it's not just eating low four times a day. There's a lot more science behind it. Than, than just that. And I'd just like to also say, um, grazing management for us has been the fundamental change and amazing outcomes that we have done here. Like all our new pastures, all the fertilizers, whatever you use, if you don't start getting that grazing management focused, a lot of that other stuff is just nice nice to have so just thought i'd end on that for us the better we get our grazing the better our results it's sort of that sort of relationship Brilliant. i just want to say it's not nice it's really expensive <laughs> hamish because you nailed it it is grazing management that's the fundamental but if you know, if you do all that other stuff and don't get your grazing management right, it, it can be very expensive. Brilliant. Thank you. And um, I'm going to try and be a sickle of a time. So sorry, friends, for the comment that I haven't managed to ask there. And I just see there's a couple in the chat um, that I hadn't noticed. So um, apologies for that. But uh, I think we've done a pretty good job. Um, I've learned a heap. So thanks very much. Um, taking on a lease in about two weeks time so this is a bloody good refresher um and yeah so thanks for all the questions um it's been that's been awesome and thanks especially to jules meyer um hamish and mark um i think we've covered a huge amount of ground actually in two hours um so i hope that's um been useful for everyone yeah i'll send up a follow-up um email to everybody but if you do have any thoughts on what worked really well what we could do different next time etc um, would really love to to hear from you to make sure that we can um, maximize the value of that and what we're thinking is we'll actually change up the speakers over time so next time you might have four different speakers for example and you might start seeing some of our current panelists back um, in you know three or four months time so we can actually start to get you know canvas different contexts around the country different perspectives in that um, and see how that goes so um, anyway really love any feedback on that Otherwise, um, thanks very much for your time. It was a long haul. Hope it was worth it. And uh, yeah, be in touch. Thanks, Sam. Good work, Sam.
Thank you, um, panelists. Likewise. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.